0: Death
1: is a
0: Welcome. This is All the Fuck a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values.
2: These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning.
0: If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place.
2: And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective, and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether.
0: Okay, we're back, and um, today we're speaking with Rebby Kern. Rebby, would you like to introduce yourself, share your name, your pronouns, um, any identities that feel resonant, and your astrology placements?
1: Fun. Hi, friends. I'm Rebby Kern. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and have really fun intersections. I am a non-binary trans black person. Um, I am queer and, um, I am hard of hearing. And so living with an invisible disability has been incredibly interesting. Um, I am a survivor in many ways and, uh, and navigating lots of, of understandings of my mental health and, and what I do on a regular basis to navigate the everyday world with those, um, I'm currently um, on the stolen land of Catawba Nation, which is um, what colonizers would now call Charlotte, North Carolina. I um, grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And so just to be in the space and to channel those (laughs) Northwest vibes through you, Tristan. Yeah, I please these things. (laughs) Um, And for my astrology, uh, I am a Sagittarius uh, in my sun sign and uh, very fiery indeed and independent and and creative and um, my moon is in cancer and my rising is in Capricorn and so I am highly emotive, highly empathetic and I like being in control and in charge also. <laughs> fully admit those things out loud. (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. So
0: um, I first came to know you as a yoga teacher and then learned through cultivating a friendship with you over time that you do much more than (laughs) yoga. Would you share, I would love to hear like what you're doing now and how you
1: got here. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, how much time do we have? I know, well, <laughs> we've got about an hour. You can take up as much or as little yeah. as, as you'd like. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the question and, and I do appreciate how much we've been able to get to know each other in time and learning so much about one another. And I, um, I came to this moment through um, experiencing myself in the world and experiencing how the world was receiving me, perceiving me and, and supporting me or denying me and um, growing up as an adopted kid and and navigating being biracial, um, navigating being in an intergenerational family, then coming to learn my queer identity, my disabilities, and all of the aspects, I I came to find myself incredibly activated as a kid, trying to make space for myself. And the system told me I was too loud, I was too wrong, I took up too much space. And, And so I really started to find ways to elevate my voice. And um, theater and art and creativity really helped me hone into that. Um, and my mother kindly reminded me that will not make you money down the road. So I was automatically whipped up into the system of, of overperformance and production. Um, and and so I, I think to take the the shorter end to answer this question was I fell into activism really quickly. Um, I was a, an associated student body kid and and really found home in that place of talking to my school community, understanding the needs of community, and then using myself as as a liaison to help make some change and create change. And what I learned in student government helped me start my own nonprofit when I was just exiting my teenage years. Mm. And and in attending a religious faith-based institution for college, it was the first time I was really openly discriminated against for my queer identities. And I didn't know how to handle any of that. So I started a nonprofit because that's what you do, I guess. <laughs> I found that, um, that my sibling campuses across the U.S. were, those students were experiencing similar outcomes of, of asking for space and being denied and paying for, for student fees that couldn't go back to the clubs and the organizations that we wanted to start to support our best selves, our, our queer identities. And so um, we we began to work on a national and then a global basis. Um, I'm really proud of that work. And we, um, many of us stayed in activism and, and, and I too went and, and I left my filmmaking interest and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina for my first national collegiate policy role. Mm. And I was in love with the work. Um, this was on the heels of, um, some of the Title IX exclusions that were popping up in 2014, um, preventing queer students from attending institutions, um, which is no stranger to legislation today. Um, And and surprise, surprise, I'm a statewide education policy director here in North Carolina. And so um, I stayed on that pathway. It's been about a decade. I discovered yoga when I got sober in 2011 and uh, eventually did my teacher training in 2018 and then felt very activated within yoga. Oh, people want to take space away from me in this industry as well. And Starting another nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so that's a good segue. Tell us about the new nonprofit. Also, I'm realizing no wonder you're buddies with Nicole Cardoza. You're just oh. like nonprofit junkies, the two of you.
1: <laughs> oh, my sweet friend Nicole. Major, major, major shout out. Um, Nicole's helped me through so many moments where I'm just like, are you going through this too? Is this a part of the thing? And and feeling really inspired um by that work and the granting process that she oversees. Um So to be clear, um, the the technicalities of nonprofit, like I use that as a broad lens and uh, the Trans Yoga Project um, does not have a specific affiliation at this point and is seen as as essentially co-op until we have another way to um, experience our work. The Trans Yoga Project is an opportunity for trans and queer yoga teachers to find space to call home. Um, It's an opportunity to educate um, yoga leaders, um, industry leaders, um, uh, folks that are are managing and owning studios and and even teachers teaching within the space to educate themselves on what it looks like to create affirming and expansive um, yoga experiences off the mat. And and we hear that term, I hear that term often of of yoga happens off the mat. and, um, And taking this work into the world because so many times I hear people say, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm not political.
0: Mm.
1: And to hear that alignment as, as a bypass to supporting trans needs and supporting racial needs. Um, and so I'm sure I'll have space to unpack that a little bit more deeply. Um, but this is a project I'm incredibly, incredibly invested in and, and really proud of. And because of this work, I feel like I've been most connected to my gender identity in the last year during pandemic mm. because these people have have had my back and we've been able to say, you know what? There's something to do about this. (laughs) And we're combining forces. And it's just like that moment where it's just like the, 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 the teens and our power unites and our fists are together and everything lights up. And, um, that's the moment I feel like we're in right now.
2: Mm, I love it. Lauren, do you have any questions? I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling that was coming. (laughs) Um, first of all, like, I think it's really, um, I, I just want to underscore that you are working on two different levels that are, I think, equally important. So there's culture shift work and policy shift work, and we've seen what happens when there's policy shift but not culture shift, or vice versa, and things just aren't sustainable. So I think it's really fucking cool that that's how you approach things. I also did not know that you were sober, mm. um, and that I I've, I'm coming up on three years, and wow. and as someone who I guess you're like a decade in then. Um, <laughs> I get, like take us on a left turn. I'm really curious. I mean, obviously you said it led you to yoga, but I'm curious how else just recovery, and you mentioned being a survivor, like how that informs what you're doing and how you show up for it. Wow,
1: absolutely congrats on on that three years. Yes, I'm in my ninth year of recovery right uh. now and to think I'm seven months away from double digits, it's pretty wild. Um, I will say this that after my dad passed, I find myself talking myself out of recovery um, more than I am back into. And so I I do want to honor and acknowledge the healing space I'm in right now and really questioning, um, my own foundation and all of that. And it is a scary place, this grief, it is scary. Um, and, um, you know, I, I used external forces to feel better. I really did. And, and the, the childhood that I experienced and, and being an adopted kid and, and, and being, Um, a mixed kid, a a black kid in, in accelerated learning, which is, is a very privileged white space and, and not understanding the impacts that was showing up for me. And I was in those courses starting in fourth grade and, and, and how differently I was treated in school because of that. Um, when I started to come out and, and some of those impacts, um, and as, I came out for the first time as bi and then I was lesbian and now I'm non-binary and then I'm queer and I'm pan and like, there's all of these terms. And at the end of the day, I really just started to feel other. And and that, that I was, uh, being treated as other, um, I didn't have the tools to process my sexual traumas. I didn't have tools to, to process leaving home on my 17th birthday. Nobody was, uh, putting me in therapy. Um, and, I had all of these timeline moments that I created my wrongness from it all, hmm. and really internalized that wrongness. And um, drugs and alcohol were the only thing that got me to escape that until it stopped working. Um, and I was I was really truly on a pathway of um, of a, a psychosis, um, you know, trigger warming self harm. Um, but like really, I wanted to die. And then I was trying to access drugs in a way that I could no longer live on this planet because I didn't want to anymore. Um, And I thought that if I did drugs for long enough and if I did these combination of drugs, my history would rewrite itself and I could start over. And it never happened. And I woke up sober and I was like, wow, this is still who I am. This is still my timeline. All of these things still happened. Yoga was the first thing that got me connected to my body in a way that, that I felt like I had an opportunity to live again. And, and to do that while I was accessing sobriety, it all happened at the right time. Um, and I don't I don't know where I would be today if I hadn't really paused and said, you know, maybe there's another way. Um, if I didn't lose the people that I did in my early Um, Moments of sobriety that really shook me to my core of like, this is the pathway I'm on, and do I really still want to leave? And in that way, and so it feels different, even in the darkness of grief, and and even in in the daily impacts of my gender identity and and this world and legislators that want to unwrite me from (laughs) from the planet. Uh, I have to be here for y'all. I have to be here for the other trans and queer folks that. Um, that are going to come after me. Uh, these Gen Zers, I mean, they knocked down Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> we're going, we're going places if we stick
2: with me <laughs> They have their shit together. I was just having this conversation with my partner and his roommates last night, like because he was mentioning how now millennials are starting to give Gen Z shit, just like we've been getting shit from Gen X and our, you know, parents generations. I was like, why? They're the yeah. ones who are literally going <laughs> to save us. So, um, well, and thank you for sharing all of that. Cause yeah. I I know it's tender and I I'm like tearing up. I think me too. To me. Yeah. So, um, and I think what someone who maybe hasn't had that degree of trauma or that degree of like, just not wanting to be in your body may not understand is that Like when you're told from every angle and and for you way more than me, given your identities that you're wrong and it's not okay for you to be here, it's really difficult to push back against that conditioning. And so of Mm -hmm. course you get to a place where it's like, I'm okay, fine. I'm not going to be here. Um, And I'm so glad that you are and that you're doing the work that you're doing. And I love that your heart is in and focused on like what to do for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't have another question after
0: that. Yeah, that was that was a lot. You know, the last time I cried on the podcast was with Rauda, so I'm not at all
1: surprised <laughs> that <laughs> that our other friend Rebby joins us and I shares I something love that so much.
2: Tears. Yeah. You, yeah.
1: I have this running joke with Rauta that some people cry through their eyes and other people cry through their armpits. Rauda is somebody that cries through her armpits and I love it.
0: <laughs> Hilarious. Oh God, I just want to be with both of you so bad someday. I mean, just just so everybody's aware, I get to meet Rebbe in person in a couple weeks, which I'm really excited about. Socially distanced, of course, but Rebbe and their partner Daniel, who I've been buddies with both of them now for for a little while, and I'm really excited to to be in person. So.
1: It's so exciting. And I am in between my vaccination shots right now. Me and too. So, yeah. <laughs> it's so, oh, it's so I can taste it. Yeah.
0: And Rauda, you will be with us in spirit yes. for sure when it happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rebby tell us, you know, I know that you have been, and I'm guessing still are an ambassador for Lululemon and mm. have been in roles with organizations like this over the course of your profession as a yoga teacher i'd love to hear what that's been like as a non-binary trans person um and yeah whatever you might want to share regarding that experience
1: yeah and and thank you for the question and and the acknowledgement it it feels pretty wild to have been approached by the brand to be an ambassador and i was approached at the local level and what's so beautiful is that the the folks uh, that are managers of the store. So um, Atherton mill is the the third Charlotte store in the area. And uh, so I got to come on as a first ambassador for the store. And what I'm learning is the first black non-binary ambassador in the region and trying to really unpack and identify if that is also inclusive of North America mm-hmm. and trying to really identify if there are other trans and non-binary folks navigating through the brand. Um, and And that is important to me because I have a lot to say. And that this brand and and as connection to other organizations and industry leaders and um, systems that have created harm, I really had to ask myself, what can I do within this brand, within this company to make more space for other people like me? And not only people that want to wear the apparel, but for yoga teachers and, and, and folks within fitness and wellness at large that wanna be seen and, and, and that even comes down to somebody who comes to a drop in class. How, how is it like, where are those connections? And so um, when I was approached, there's this uh, gender inclusive line that has been in the lab for a while with Lululemon and is present in about 20 stores in North America. And is that my slack or yours? (laughs) I hear the slack sound in my dreams. I'm closing my slack right now. I'm so triggered.
0: (laughs) I dreamt last night that my partner went somewhere in public and forgot to wear a mask and I was trying to protect him and couldn't. And I was when I woke up this morning, I was like, okay, this is the reality we're in now. Like now we dream about not being able to wear a mask in public.
1: Anyways, segue so to back to yeah. what you were saying. Right, right, right. Additional triggers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so because of that, because of that line and the introduction of the line at that time, I was a yes, because I'm a yes for that change. And, and Lauren, you'd really kind of brought up of, of the culture change and the policy change and I really felt that because of the way that my managers had approached me, that my work within uh, social justice and, and community wellness and um, all of the identity pieces that I bring was what made my role most appealing that stood me out from other wellness leaders in the area. And I was really flattered by that. And, and I made it really clear. I said, well, you know, when you get me, you get all of me. I will not be censoring myself for any, any part of who I am to do this role. So I'm going to ask you, are you sure? Are you sure? And they said, yes. And I don't know if the brand was sure. Mm. There has been uh, an interesting path of, of a timeline since I would say September. And I had an opportunity to get featured in the the five to follow Um on the global Instagram page for Lululemon. And and I do, um, I I started my business to do more trainings within yoga and wellness um, that had been implemented on the ground here in Charlotte and taking that work to national and now a global scale. And what um, I've learned from that is that that became incredibly appealing um, across the board. And so Lululemon wanted to help uplift me in that work. And I had a new module Decolonizing Gender that had just popped up that really takes a a deep look at um, the the historical timeline of genderqueer folks and and the language that has been used to describe them in all cultures across the world from antiquity forward. Um, Understanding how um, consumerism and capitalism plays a role in how I access apparel and body wash and toys and, and who is determining those messages as well as general culture and in understanding how am I in solidarity with gender equity and that is inclusive of trans and intersex people um and and so when that graphic made it to the five to follow instagram page the internet like the side of tiktok you never want to be on they got hold of it and they were pretty much like, who is this person talking about anti-capitalism on Lululemon's page? And who is Lululemon, the multi-billion dollar industry, to promote something like this? And it turned into a PR crisis overnight. Um, my pages were getting attacked. I was getting threats. Um, I, it was a lot to deal with personally. And what was learned from this moment, I asked if Lululemon supports me as an ambassador, how much of me are they protecting and what will they do to stand up for me? Because that post got taken down when the, lash, when the backlash occurred and the public statement essentially said, this is our ambassador, this is not our event and we are not, we're not supporting the messaging of this event. And what that said to me was I'm wrong. So once again, I was triggered from childhood forward. I'm not good enough. Who I am is not good enough. And I I am a problem. That was a moment that I I needed Lululemon to back my region to say who you are matters and the work that you're doing matters. And we're going to stand up behind you and for the brand to come forward and say, you know what? Gender equity does matter. And you should attend this workshop. It was really painful, Um, all of the inside conversations that I had, um, uh, trying to protect the workshop that was then under attack. I had to put so many security layers. I had to take down the session and redo it just in case the link had gotten released. There was a two-point process to get people into the room that night. I was freaking out. (laughs) My staff were freaking out. My attendees were freaking out, trying to understand um, what some of the implications would have been. And it was the most impactful session I think I had ever facilitated because it was that moment that I really had a root into who I am, had a root into my purpose, had a root into my vision. And and I understood that even a brand like this cannot stop me. And, And while the initial ask had the best intentions, I had to stand up and say, harms have been caused and what do reparations look like? from Lululemon's executive team. I was like, well, let's talk about reparations. What's happening? How do we fix this? <laughs> you know, and, um, and I was also curious, is this a moment for me where I end my ambassadorship? Mm. Is my work done? Where else can I go from here? Am I blacklisted from the brand at large? Are they gonna end my ambassadorship? Did I violate my contract? <laughs> And, and the answer was no. Um, and, and what I got from the inside perspective is that there's some learning and some unlearning to do and that folks are willing to do that work. And, and so I've been invited back to do some internal trainings um, uh, at the global level to offer um, staff on the inside um, similar themes to, to the sessions that I host publicly. So there's growth and opportunity. And, and I often feel like I have to light myself on fire to be like, this is the problem. And the the burn that I experience day after day after day after day of doing that means that I really have to engage in my self-care. I really have to listen to my co-star when it says get off the internet <laughs> and, and actually close my laptop and take time off and, and have people in my corner that that when I'm getting misgendered on a panel for statewide vaccination rollout, I have somebody I can talk to on the side that says this impact is happening. I'm ready to cut my hair off. I'm not good enough. I'm done. And to have them just be there to hear me and uplift me and affirm me, um, I have to do all of that stuff on a regular basis, or else I cannot continue setting myself on fire in this way to do this work. Um, and so that's kind of the the broad scale of of what has happened. Um, my contract will end in August, and and um, and and I've learned a lot from this, and I hope that the brand and the people that are tuning in um, can understand the impact. And, and the possibility. And, and I really believe that, that the folks at the executive level have learned something from that moment. I wish that I didn't have to come at, at the stake of, of my business and my work and my identity.
2: Yeah, uh, something I was gonna share is I've actually worked for two different Lululemon stores, um, mm-hmm. kind of in between political gigs at different times. And what I remember in all the training, like there's this very loud drumbeat of community 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 and ambassadors are so important and you see actually some really cool innovative i would even say progressive stuff happening at a store level um and it's interesting to hear you tell the story of what was happening for you locally kind of trickling up i guess um to this executive team and you know i wonder if you would want to share anything about how you see institutions like lululemon um, in capitalism starting to embrace anti-capitalist values I don't really know how to ask this well but just how these organizations and brands can start to embrace these values or is that actually not impossible is that not even possible because of how they're structured like I I wrap my head around this all the time and fail so
1: (laughs) it's one of those themes that um uh, inspires college classes truly we could spend 18 weeks unpacking this um there's no easy answer i'd like to speak from the perspective of the trans yoga project at large that when when i enter into a yoga studio and i expect that yoga studio to change to make more space i also have to acknowledge how that studio came to be and the system it was developed in It's possible that that system might not change today. And so in my going to that studio, am I creating additional harm for myself or what does it look like for me to say, I don't have to experience yoga in a studio. And I, and, and there are elements of, of this past year of, of experiencing my home as my workplace, as my, uh, studio, as my, um, kitchen and and restaurant, all of these new ways that I hadn't even been interacting with my own home. That also got me to realize, oh, I don't have to go to a studio to access my yoga. And, And I don't have to look at the person beside me and what they're up to in their mat and their apparel and their headband and their water bottle for me to feel like I'm a good yogi. And I also no longer have to, I mean, I, I know what I just said, but if there are ways that I don't have to set myself on fire to make more space, I want to do that. And that's what my self-care looks like today. And that's where I'm more, my no comes in and, and where I get to say no and be a no, because I think at the, when I really scale out, there's been this metaphor around the table, I need a seat at the table, right? And this, this infamous table represents the system and the people at the table are either upholding the system and status quo or they're infiltrating the system, right? By getting a seat at the table and speaking up and, and offering resistance and, and challenging status quo. And sometimes people lose their seats because of that. And, and when I've been doing this work, I find myself asking, What is it about the table? Cisgender straight white men who are educated and have access to generational wealth have always had a seat there and they're likely at the head of the table. They likely also feel that for me, having a seat at the table is somehow taking their seat away. And so getting more people to think, and and unfortunately it took something like the murder of George Floyd on on global television, to see oh oh we can add more seats yeah, yeah yeah let's let's add more seats to the table and then pretty soon people lose physical space around this table because the table size hasn't changed okay well let's bring a bigger table in okay so we have a bigger table and now there's more seats and everybody has their own seat but this concept of gathering at a table hasn't changed and so it's the same system it's the same thing and so then we start talking about let's flip the table over. And then it's just like, can we just sit somewhere else? Like, I like to sit on the floor. I love
2: that so much.
1: (laughs) I like to sit outside in the grass. I like to go for a run. And then to really get myself away from, dang, like maybe my alignment to this global brand is still me sitting at the table. And how, how many times, right, do I have to just be silence and silence and silence before I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go for a run now. I'm going to do some work on the run. Who, who if, if you're one on a run, too, you can come. Yeah, we can do that. And so I, I I'm in this place in my activism, in my personal life, and in my work life, in my yoga life that um, I'm kind of not interested in the table anymore in the same way that I was, and I am tired and and I've been tired for a while. And I I honor people that have been in this work for decades and decades and decades and when we talk about decolonization, that's what we're saying is like, the way that the table came to be is the problem. And that that table was stolen and it was wood stolen from, from lamb that is not mine and built to serve a cisgender straight white man who already has access to generational wealth. But what about the people that they took that wood from? Where are they sitting? And that that's where I'm at right now. And so I, I think that there's some answer and curiosity in your question that lots of us are asking right now. And it's like, well, damn, like, no, I don't have to wear pants that are $118 to be able to do yoga. And I'm okay with that, but I will help reallocate some resources from systems like that to help support trans people. You know what I'm saying? I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and that me being in that in that apparel is also telling other trans folks that they are affirmed and seen and I will yeah. be that representation. And right now that representation is not serving me personally. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah. Do you, Rebby are you, cause so last year you taught decolonizing gender, you taught race, gender and bias. Was there another? I feel like those were the two primary and fully integrated. Yeah, there were like right. three offerings, right?
1: Mm-hmm, that's right. Are,
0: are you going to be offering things of that nature again, or is all of your kind of educational facilitation work in that vein going through trans yoga project now?
1: Wow. What a great question. I know right now I'm on a pause because of my mental health and I am in two therapeutic groups. I'm in talk therapy. I have a, a an appointment with my psychologist on Friday, um, because I'm not well. And, and my dad's death really took a toll on me and, um, I was not able to recharge in September after the Lululemon PR crisis and that was about a month of everyday ongoing impact and then residual impact through today. Um, and then my dad was in and out of the hospital and then he was in um, a nursing facility for almost two months. And then the election came and the election here in North Carolina was very traumatic. Um, and. I didn't have pause from that. And then the holidays came and then my dad passed. And so I'm just two and a half months out from that. And so I, I hit pause on that work so that I can regather my energy and get really clear on where I'm heading next. There are elements of my work that will be accessible through the Trans Yoga Project. And there's elements of my work that will stay under the umbrella of, um, of fully integrated and, and sort of the brand and Yoga um, and right now it's it's just tougher to access because it, I'm not ready yet. Um, there are new modules in the works. And then so really kind of setting myself into the vision, into the future. Um, I still have goals to move into global space. I'm still a consultant in many ways and, and people can book me um, you know, individually and at a, an institutional level, a group level as well. Um, and so right now just kind of prioritizing what it looks like for me to be full, right. To fill the cups of others. Um, and to also take a look at what pushes me into my vision, um, and, and really aligns me to my true North in that way. And so I love the question so much. And, um, you can always access baby <laughs> <laughs>
2: We'll willing to all of the things in the yeah, show.
0: We will. And I'm just so glad that you're offering yourself the space and the care that you need and seeking the support that you need and, um, and owning it too, right? And like sharing that that's part of your process um, because I think we need to be having that conversation more transparently with one another, yeah.
1: Absolutely, and grief is showing up in so many ways right now. And so um, the more I can speak to that, I hope it gives permission to folks to be exactly where they're at as well.
2: Yeah, especially this week, because I know at least for me, this was the one year mark of going into quarantine. And I think for a lot of other folks, depending on what state you're in. And I think there's something about anniversaries too, that just live in our bodies. And so it makes sense that there's even more coming up. And I didn't realize you lost your dad that recently. I'm so sorry. You've had a lot to hold in the last few months.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And then, and there's elements of, of doing this work that keeps me in that uh, impact, right? Where I'm experiencing more impact than I am the filling up. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Thank you.
0: I feel like I could ask you a series of personal questions about how you navigate instances of misgendering. And I don't know if now's the space for that, but I, I, am curious to hear Mm. as someone who is, um, you know, I didn't exclusively claim they, them until this time last year, speaking of anniversaries, um, COVID was what gave, It felt like gave me permission to be myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, I also want to say, too, as a preface to you answering, that um, it was yoga spaces that I was, I was frequenting yoga spaces more than anything else pre-COVID that felt very cishet dominated. Mm -hmm. And I was advocating for pronoun considerations while also exploring my gender identity, but not feeling empowered to more deeply explore it to the point of claiming my gender identity and like, and really starting to discover and and recognize my gender identity. And so, you know, as I reflect on both like the pre COVID experience of being in those cishet, you know, yoga spaces, which also let's be real. If I was there, there were other trans folks there too. I just didn't know it. Right. Um, mm. And other queer folks of all kinds there. I just didn't know it. Um, but now as i think like what comes next when we start moving back to in person practice i am i have some anxiousness in my body on moving back into those spaces with those same same people and you know as i'm sure you can imagine because all of us really are those of us who are trans are and non-binary and et cetera um, are mis- have to contend with misgendering on such a regular basis. It can be astonishing sometimes. So yeah, all of that to say, I would love to hear anything you have to offer on that topic.
1: Uh, you are so valid and I am so grateful that you've also been so open about your own personal discovery and it's so brave. And I just thank you for being a beam of sparkly rainbow light for this world to experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh you're you're getting me after a morning of of dealing with this. So I'm going to be a little shady. Uh <laughs> this shady morning, is that what you
2: said? Great. Yeah. Bring it.
1: Bring the shade. Um so there is a national coal uh um a statewide coalition with some national impact that Um, invited me to uh, talk about the LGBTQ underrepresentation and underserving primarily around COVID and uh, vaccine rollout. And so on behalf of my organization, I attended last night, uh, I read it around eight and I think that it was sent after five. um, I had gotten an email that said, hi, getting ready for tomorrow. Can you uh, tell me how to pronounce your name? And what are the preferred pronouns quote, the preferred okay. pronouns. Yes. And I said, it's too late for this. And I ordered Taco Bell and watch an episode <laughs> of station 19. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and so, um, uh, I woke up this morning and I said, okay, what is it that it's, what is there for me to say right now? And so I gave a description and a phonetic explanation of my name. Um, and then had unpacked one um, that my pronouns were listed in my email signature of all the email threads that we've had. It's also listed in the bio that I had already submitted. And it's also listed in my bio on equalitync.org. And so please refer to those things. um, And my pronouns are they, them, please only use they, them. And then I unpacked preferred. Because preferred also then denies the fact that all people have pronouns and that cis people don't have preferred anything. And so um, try to unpack that in a brief email (laughs) can be really challenging, but something that happens all the time, every day. So I get to the session and I'm misgendered in the pre-meeting and I said, Hey, my pronouns are this. It's in my zoom name right here. Just like right now. It's right. It's right here. And so then I was misgendered multiple times during the panel. And the first time I addressed it, and the second time I wrote the moderator again and said, you've done this again. And that was when I started checking in with my, um, I have a, a group of trans executive leaders in the state, and we just... We kiki all day and, and we need that space. And when we're not feeling affirmed, we affirm each other. And it's the most vibrant group chat I'm in aside from our global <laughs> trans group that, that we share. And I found myself really reverting back and, and I'll get to, to the solution and the question. I just really want people to hear and understand this is every day. And even when I say, and, and affirm myself, it, it doesn't land There's no change that happens and it's not sinking in with people. And that is so frustrating. And so um, this person, this moderator wrote me again after and, and said, thank you for correcting me. Thank you for accepting my apology. And can we get together for a virtual coffee? I'd love to see how we can collaborate. So going back to this systems conversation, this person has proven to me that she's not there yet. And when I looked at the demographics of the room, it was predominantly white cis folks and and predominantly women in this room. There are three other folks that had their pronouns listed. One of them happened to be a previous board member of the organization I'm in, Another is a colleague of mine that we were already connected and the third was their colleague and they're all from the same organization. And I wrote them each separate that said, thank you. I feel so affirmed and and, and I feel held. And I moved their Zoom pictures next to mine as if we were sitting at the same table together. And they each just said that they saw me and, and, and honored and that they were sorry about the misgendering that occurred. So that's one way. And, and unfortunately that puts the labor on me as a person that has been harmed in that moment that I then have to reinforce who I am and, and, and then deal with the plight after shaving my head off. And I immediately like added another button into my shirt and, you know, just this trying to like defeminize myself, which guess what? Non-binary people do not owe you androgyny period, period but I still feel so forced into that, right? Um, and so besides the correcting, um, I do my very best to send people in on my behalf. So a colleague of mine who is also within the Lululemon family and, and we attend um, essentially a coalition of black ambassadors. There's a handful of us across, the, um, across North America. And she had misgendered me publicly in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an uplifting post on Instagram and I was like hey those are my pronouns here are my pronouns and then asked other people to go in and check in on her because I was leading like two sessions that day and so then turned out she had taken it down reposted it and misused they them pronouns addressed her again she took it down reposted it and then took a screenshot of my original DM and unpacked her learning in broad daylight on Instagram And so we continued in conversation. I was like, listen, like you still misgendered me again in this thing. And like, I'm tired, but here's a post that I just created of how to use they, them pronouns and other neo-pronouns that somehow seems to have been missed in school and all of these other ways. And so I do this like public education and was also just like, here's my Venmo because I'm tired and I shouldn't have to do this. And, and I advocated for my behalf of like, I'm doing this work for you, please pay me. And, and, and like, Knowing that I am a wealth of knowledge, when I do not have resource, I have other people who are cisgender that I can send in and they will handle it. And so when those things happen, I have to get really clear about, um, about the energy. Um, I have to affirm and take care of myself on the back end too and surround myself with trans and queer people, predominantly trans and non-binary folks so that I can open up a Zoom room and feel like I can finally exhale the tension leaves my shoulders. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing or what my hair looks like or how masculine my glasses are. Thank you, Warby Parker. Like I just show up in the room and and I need that so much. Um, And I don't know how to teach cisgender people what it feels like to go through an entire day that I misgendered in a call at 9am in the morning. Then I move into another space and I talk about anti-transport legislation. And I was telling Tristan before this call, this is the first affirming hour that I've been in in my day. It's three o'clock and my work day is not done. And, and that's tough. Um, what, what it also looks like is for me to draw boundaries. So um, there's two, maybe three buckets. There are the people that I know I will not have interaction with again, like at the grocery store, I likely won't correct that person because it's a low stakes situation and I can move on. When it comes to the people that are in my life that I know who who love and care about me, I will correct them and advocate for myself. And I will also ask them to do their own learning. I also get to deny them access to me if I find that they're creating more harm than facing their unlearning. So this whole, oh, it's so hard. And you know, I'm doing my best. Or the over apologizing of making it about them and their trying. Right. And so I I can exit those relationships. And I think this third bucket it's like, if these are people that are super duper deep in my life and they accidentally misgender me, like I likely won't even notice because like they're showing up for me in so many other ways and they're in solidarity with me. They're asking me what I need. And like accidents do happen. But there's some place in the middle of this like constant, like even in, even in the, it's like, it's as if the synapses just aren't firing (laughs) And, and I can't always fix that, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. I don't even know if I know it. It does. No, that was
0: good. That was good. Hearing everything you said felt really good for me to hear personally, um, and which means that it'll likely be helpful for somebody else to hear it too, and also helpful from an education standpoint. Um, mm. So thank you, because I know that that involved your personal heart and experience mm. and emotional labor. And I, I just want to appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm also realizing... Correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, but this is the first trans non-binary person we've had on the show.
2: I think you're right.
0: And now I'm like, I'm that's doing not. a bad job. First of all,
2: like that's <laughs> what my brain says, which I know isn't
0: true. Like, we, first of all, we we invited Rebby on the show months ago, and then Rebby went through a personal, you know, a shame, um, yeah, a, a huge shift, you know, and loss. Um, mm-hmm. and so you know, I've been I've been waiting for this. <laughs> 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 I've been waiting for this, oh, <laughs> but I'm I'm also just realizing, like, I want to spend more time talking to other trans and binary people. And Mm -hmm. other trans people in general, you know, Um, not just to be diverse and to have, you know, good representation practices and to live into our world as, as people who are committed to social justice, but also because I need it and I'm just realizing that. So thank you. We're not
2: doing, we're not doing that box checking shit.
0: No, no, none of that box (laughs) checking shit for real.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And what a beautiful opportunity
1: and, and to be a yes for a podcast led right? By a trans person. is also just like, hell yeah, I can yeah. do this. And yeah. like immediately feel like this is my safe space for the day. Yeah. And that was yeah. really good. So thanks for creating space for that.
0: Yeah. It's my pleasure. And I have to affirm too, that Lauren is is an incredible space holder as far as that con- is concerned too. And one of my biggest supporters and one of the people that I know I can go to and lean on when it comes to mm-hmm. these topics of being misgendered and what that's like. Um, she has really shown up for me in really mm-hmm. big ways. So thank
2: you. Yeah. I didn't know how to say this before because I'm trying not to make stuff about me, but <laughs> what you just shared, Rabbi, I'm, I I know you're saying like for a cis person, like they can't there's no way for me to fully understand what it feels like, right. To live in a trans body or a non-cis body. But like, I, I do find that the more I'm in relationship with people who just have different identities than me, like you, hopefully folks are developing compassion. So um, I just, every time I'm in a space like this, first of all, I feel very honored um, that I'm trusted with that space, but also just, I, I am constantly learning something. So I appreciate you both a lot.
1: Yeah, I think that was the whole shady bit about referencing that email. That's like my mm-hmm. racial identity and my gender identity were put up to bat. And like, mm-hmm. I just thought about how many other people are asked that in a really inappropriate way when it's like our pre call. We can say, let's go run and introduce each other instead of being like, how do you pronounce your name? And like, many white people are not asked that. And, and, um, is uh, something that, um, Austin Channing Brown wrote in, um, I'm Still here. Hmm. Is that, I see the green book.
0: Yep, I see um, the green book too with the black lettering. I'm still here. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah okay, my visual learner's in the room. <laughs> and, and she writes about how when her mom named her Austin, she didn't get it until she was in a room um, interviewing for a job and that the person was looking around and would look right over her as a black woman and was looking for a white man named Austin. And that later she says, I named you that to get you in the room. And and I there was just so much validity in that moment to be like, oh, I get it. Right. And to, to feel that. And so in that opposition, Lauren, there are so many times that that people, even with the best intentions, are creating harms uh, with multiple layers to it. Um, and that there are better and different ways to ask. And it goes back to. How are we changing systems where everybody is putting their pronouns in their signature, so that we don't have to have these uncomfortable conversations? It just is. Is and I wanted to misgender her on the call intentionally, just <laughs> to prove my point. <laughs> and then I see it on TikTok all the time, you know, and all of these little like funny jabs. But it's our reality, and it's like, but how would it feel if I called you he? You wouldn't like it. Uh. And how can I do some of that learning without being like mega shady?
2: But <laughs> <laughs> also the shadiness is appropriate sometimes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like <Yeah>. it's okay.
0: <laughs> okay. I have two more questions and I know we're we're nearing the end of the time. One is, damn it, I lost it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> One of the questions I'm getting a lot from people is like, so I'm a huge proponent of like, put your pronouns in your everywhere, right? Zoom names, email signature, website, social media bios. I'm saying it all the time. I also recognize that not everyone is safe to. Would you speak to that and how you're approaching that as someone who's trying to shift the culture and the policy with that awareness, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much depth to this um first and foremost your identity is yours it is not debatable and you do not owe anybody a conversation and if that means that you're not ready to be out yet that's okay and and find those spaces off the clock where you can be out or or else it could potentially feel like a really deep hole um that's first and, and foremost and 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 I know that um There's lots of conversations about what it looks like to be stealth and and, in a concept, uh, in the context of binary trans folks that move through their gender journey and then don't talk about their trans identity out loud. And that is their right. And that is about safety a lot of the time. Um, As non binary people, I don't have that level of privilege. And that is why even this morning I automatically was like, "Well, I'll just transition binary and be a guy because that might be easier than being non-binary." And so what that also means is when I don't come out about that identity is I'm impacted doubly in certain ways because I'm perceived very much in my expression as as femme and often um, I show up in in rooms and and most people think I'm a straight like mixed woman and. Mm, that's not how I show up in my world. Um, And so while it is important, I think that this conversation actually speaks to the privilege and solidarity of cis people needing to do that work. Because that's the whole point is that when everybody offers it, it makes it less focused in on and spotlighting on trans people to come out and be out. And so then if we're able to shift that culture, then then it might become a bit safer, a bit more comfortable to be out in our workplaces. And then sometimes we're not afforded that. Not everybody gets to work at the Starbucks at the end of the corner, you know, and wear a rainbow pin and, and have pronoun Like they offer pronoun pins for their um, employees. Um, and so I think that it is important. Um, I also don't, this was something I wanted to say earlier that because of my work in queer activism, I've had privilege of being out in my workplace and that me being inspired by my work and my work being inspired by who I am. And not everybody's afforded that. And so I got to come out and, and use my pronouns in affirming spaces for as long as I've been working. I've never been in a workplace that I was not supported about that. And, and I feel really honored. Um, I feel so, so honored. And so because of that, it's made that aspect of it very useful. It's the outside world and the systems that continue to push up and, and, and resist up against me. Um, I didn't come out in my yoga teacher training until after I graduated and until after I was approached about working there, then I was like, Hey, my pronouns are they them. And it was really uncomfortable and I needed to hide in that space. Um, and that was my right. And it it made it a little harder to come out later because people were conditioned and they didn't understand that I was in hiding in that way. Um, It was liberating to come out, but then it was up to me to correct everybody. And that was so hard. And then that's why having people who can correct for me, right? Of like, if there's a front desk worker and I feel comfortable for them to correct people if they misgender me, that's cool. But I wouldn't always come out to my classroom and use my pronouns because it was, that's labor. They're not paying me extra to defend my gender identity. (laughs) And, And so again, going back to how can I access my yoga without needing to be at that table? And that's where I'm at today. And that feels really, really good.
0: Cool. Thank you. Okay. Last question: Is there anything you want to say that you haven't gotten to say? Is there any part of your work that you want to share or highlight? Um, anything coming up? You know.
1: Um, I I do want to to take a moment. Um, as as a helping professional, and um, in, in a lot of ways, and in yoga, scene, seen as light workers, right? Um, It is so important to have your cup full um, or at least more than half full to engage in this work. I get tapped so often to show up because I hold these intersections, I hold these identities, I do this work and I'm put up on a pedestal a lot of the time. And, And that can get really scary where I get nervous about what I'm saying on the mic, where I get nervous about what I'm typing on Instagram to where Instagram feels like work, um, to where this, uh, and I'm grateful that I do not feel censored in this space at all, but I do think about like, well, how far will this go, right? Do I need to be concerned? Um, And because of that, I can witness that there might be other folks that might feel similar pressure to be something or, or to hold up a specific way of being. And at the end of the day, I really encourage folks to dive in deeper into what it looks like to take care of yourself. Um, we hear this, this theme around self-care and wellness that um, it's, it has been overused and it's still so important. And I think really for me, when I think about the concept of self-care, I think about filling my own cup up because I spend my day pouring into the cups of others. And, and through yoga and through activism and, and through sharing my personal identity, I mean, this is essentially emotional labor in this, in this hour that we're together. And if I don't, I will remain empty. And sometimes I need professional and, um, and, and, and pharmaceutical support for that. And that's okay. And I can name that. And I can say that, that my physical asana isn't, it's the less, the least likely thing that's going to help me fill my cup. I know that for sure. Um, getting outside and getting in the sun helps me, um, understanding what's between me and a drink today is really helpful. And I call that my love list. And that is my best defense against a drink. And when I'm getting really itchy and and getting really wigged out about this, wanting to escape that comes from my space of emptiness. And, and so I am not doing a great job at filling myself back up. And so being in conversation with other trans and queer people or any other identities that you hold how are you tapping into those networks where you are not working, where you are not actively laboring yourself or explaining yourself, where you are receiving? Um, what's making you laugh? Like I'm I'm a, a, a great reality TV person. I can watch um, America's Got Talent and The Voice. Oh my God, I love The Voice. When are they bringing Alicia Keys back? <laughs> um, and I can <laughs> in, in, engage in those shows in a way that like I'm not watching Kiki and I'm not watching... Um, uh, um, pose, um, and I'm not watching love Simon and, and, and all of these other shows where I'm internally processing my identity. Cause that feels like work. Um, yeah. Sunshine is so important for me and, um, doing things with my hands building. Um, I remember just buying this, this office desk chair, just so I could build something, <laughs> um, the chair I had before was fine. And like, I needed to have my hands and like build something. Um, And knowing what that list is for you, whatever that love list is, where you find those dark moments might pull you away from it is super, super important. And I encourage everybody to have access to that and and to ask for help when needed. Um, I have a couple of friends that if they don't hear from me and over a certain amount of days, they're going to get into me Um, and they're going to use all of the platforms to to hear from me. Um, And I'm okay asking for that today. I don't think I always was. Um, you know, engaging in my recovery is so important, um, and getting open about this grief. And, and I had never been in bed for so many days, um, in a row, uh, and I didn't recognize myself anymore. And I have, I have support to pull myself up and out of that, um, on top of, of the racialized grief and, and the gender grief and, and all of these microaggressions that turn into macroaggressions that turn into just pain, um, and so this space and, then just being able to be on my mic and, and, tell a story in my own way and not feel like I have to like check any of your boxes and, you know, it, it feels so good just to like hang out with some friends and be like, here's my truth. Um, and my podcast has been a great place for that. That's definitely one plug. Um, for those that have already heard episodes of my podcast, fully integrated on all places where you listen to podcasts. Um, it's the story of my journey and my healing, and it has a lot to do with my dad and, I'll be finishing my season, which will wrap with, um, the passing of my dad and the discovery of my birth mom, who I get to go meet as a part of this trip that Tristan had referenced. Um, and I was adopted as a kid and, um, and I found my birth mom two weeks after my dad passed. Uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And like, I am so much of her. And in our first phone, our first zoom conversation, she was like, wait, so what are your pronouns? And I was like, oh my oh. God, can you adopt me? <laughs> <are> you? <I'm- laughs> Marty, your kid, is that, can we still do that though? <laughs> and mm. we are both in film and we were both likely in the same rooms in Hollywood when we were both there. Um, and and so there's, our cheekbones are the same and our hairline are so similar. And and she understands social justice and the work that I do. And I'm so grateful that she waited for me. Mm. Um, and now I have like a place to like transfer that energy that I spent loving my dad and healing our relationship into a person that can hug me back today. And, and I get to heal that little kiddo inside of me that just needs to be held. And, um, and that's what I'm really focusing on today is just like being
2: held. Yeah. Thank you, Rebbe. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, I'll oh. we'll link to everything. And <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining us, truly.
1: Absolutely. It's so, so good to be with y'all. And um, yeah, all things are at redbycurrenyoga.com. And um, follow me on Instagram. Um, all views are my own. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> Can we have to
0: say that now?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Great. <laughs> thank you.
2: Welcome.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A L L T F I N podcast.com. And on Instagram at alltfinpodcast.com or at Tristan Katz Creative, or and at Lauren K. Roberts.